Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 11, Should Your Relationship Become a Relation Canoe? Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to Fusion Health Radio. If you've been tuned in for the past 10 podcasts, this is episode 11. And hello and welcome if this is your first time listening in. I'm Anthony Santa in studio with Dr. Michael Smith talking to you today about something more lifestyle and mindset because that's kind of uh, what Michael is all about as well. Um, Today's episode, Should Your Relationship Become a Relation Canoe? And before we get into that, um, let's just remind people what we talked about in the last podcast. Last podcast, we talked about marijuana being a drug or uh, medicine. Mm, yeah, we just went uh, talked about the historical relationship that human beings have had with uh, cannabis as a food supply as well as a medicine. Um, talked a little bit about why the uh, modern prohibition of marijuana was a bad idea. Got into some of the fun things around how to use it medicinally in the sense of what kind of strain or uh, edible you might want, uh, how to take it, what each of the cannabinoids does, you know, pretty thorough, I think. We got into a pretty good, sorry, you got into a pretty good geek out <laughs> about what they do and uh, not too much of the science, but uh, a little bit more about um, how everyday people could uh, benefit from uh, using a medicinal marijuana. Yeah, and it, it, uh, medical marijuana is becoming more and more of a thing for, for us, as, especially in North America, because it's becoming uh, legalized in many states in the USA. It's potentially going to be legalized across Canada. I mean, we live in a town of 10,000 people. We have four dispensaries. So, it's, I mean, no one's getting arrested. It seems like a good thing. It's the place to be if you want to get some medical marijuana. Uh, and as far as I know, I think it's the place to be if you want to get that recreational stuff too. But well, there's that. But I mean, <laughs> as as your doctor, I recommend getting medicinals because they're better for you. Get the good stuff, absolutely. And in all seriousness, uh, that podcast is very descriptive about uh, the health benefits of medicinal marijuana. Uh, today, we're talking about something a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's out of left field or a bit of a departure from talking about marijuana and how that can help your health. This is more lifestyle and mindset. Uh, should your relationship become a relation canoe? And I've heard you use that term before, relation canoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, maybe you can give some folks the broad strokes as to what that actually means. Yeah. So I think we've all been in relationships where the ship itself was so predetermined by cultural expectation that we all kind of went dormant in the sense of what you know we probably would have dreamed of uh, our daily experience of that relationship, you know, happened to turn out. So, and I'll come back to that in a more descriptive way in a bit. But so the problem with the ship of relationship is it's got a lot of the 1950s wrapped up in it. How's that? Um, I asked this woman to marry me, and now we're in a big committed relationship, and now we're committed. Our com- committed to the house, the garage, the picket fence, the kids, the mortgage, the this, the that. And the partnership in the endeavor is becoming more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? 
a stereotype? Well, there's that or the business transaction or it's all about the serious, the responsible, the, you know, that side of it. And then the, the fun of the relationship, the intimacy, the connection and stuff like that becomes about something other than their relationship. Okay. Right? And that's going to happen inevitably, right? But when you think of the idea of a relation canoe, and it's meant to be kind of tongue in cheek, ship canoe, um, if you've ever been in a canoe with another person and or, you know, got a couple of kids, <clears throat> The experience is constantly mutual, unless somebody jumps out of the canoe, <laughs> you know, uh, the kind of communication that's needed to steer and paddle and turn and, you know, get through the, the rapids or whatever, um, you know, is very present. It's very tangible. Um, and unless you're yelling at each other about what you're doing wrong, you're playing. Hmm. Right. So now the, the context of your relation experience is, am I doing this more? Does this feel more like a canoe ride or, you know, a job? Uh, and the job would be the, I guess, the way you describe a relationship. Yeah. So if I was to take the ship analogy further, because imagery, I think, works in a sense of radio, because <laughs> I can't stuff cameras, pictures through the <laughs> microphone yet <laughs> click here <laughs> click here well we'll get that figured out um when i think of uh the ship in the sense of relationship uh, where it becomes challenged is imagine that a ship is actually a floating castle okay you know and they kind of are you know a big ship it's a paramilitary thing you know there's the captains and the lieutenants and the, the whole thing and, and you know the seriousness of screwing up in a ship is pretty you know important because you could like the Titanic, crash into an iceberg and kill everybody. So, you know, and you look at the, I think of the Titanic as a, you know, sort of fashionable image for, you know, that castle idea, which is there's this abstraction around everything being protected, right? Someone's, you know, doing the, the protection thing. And a castle, it's all about being safe because you're inside the castle, hopefully the king and the queen, and you've got these sentries, you know, or lawyers and other things that make the whole thing really large and heavy and kind of abstract and we kind of fall into this patterning because it's been in our culture for so long where the assumption and expectations of what we have depending on maybe what our parents did to us you know or, or you know uh, what we see on tv i mean we all as as human beings we model what we see right and if we've never seen a model for something um outside of the ship version of the experience, then we're either going to go for that because we really want it. We're going to go into that because we don't think we have any other options. We're going to go into that, you know, dragging our heels, kicking and screaming because that's not what we want. But now I guess we are, well, we're pregnant. We should do the marriage thing or whatever. And this isn't specifically about marriage. Again. It's just specifically about how we as couples and how we as individuals remind ourselves to be more present because the castle is about the opposite. Everything's on automatic. You know, we're married, I own you, you own me, and we're, you know, in this 20-year obligation to pay for this stuff and raise these little rugrats. So, so much for the passion, curiosity, connection, you know, play. Because if you've lost that, I mean, when you talk to a lot of people around, you know, 10 years into a marriage, it's like, I'm married, what are you talking about? Does the, does you say sex, what? <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah I can... Uh... I can speak to that yeah, in my own way, long-term relationships and how they've gone kind of stale because uh, at some point I realized there was a lunch bucket under my arm and my head was down and I was heading off to work and I was doing things in the way that I had seen them when I was a kid. You know, uh, my parents 
uh, immigrated to this country and they lived a life um, that I think was more North American than what they were used to uh, in the old country mm-hmm. by a huge stretch. Um, and I just picked that up and sort of went, oh, this is how you're supposed to do it. And I think, honestly, in countries where, uh, I mean, we call old countries, where the, the, the traditional model is still so embedded in the culture and everyone is doing it, uh, again, it's more likely to keep that kind of play and, and partnership and, and stuff because uh, you're not everyone's not off working, you know. There's a, a little bit more um, family dynamic happening as opposed to this um, traditional, if I can say it, North American uh, idea. I mean, you said it before, like the 50s. I think of, you know, Warden June Cleaver, two kids, nice car, you know, all that kind of uh, idea that says that this is how a family should be. But in your mind, the that type of relationship is this big, cumbersome thing that's kind of slow to move. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe you put this in context a little bit, because uh, I have a bit of a background with this, and it comes in like, two or three different ways. Um, once, obviously, uh, or first, I would say, obviously, as a human being, as a man, I've been through whatever number of relationships that were ships. I've had a few relation canoes, which, in the sense that the interaction was what much more about the play and the passion, the connection, and, and the distinction became sort of something that became so glaringly obvious that I actually kind of coined the term relation canoe. And you know, if I'm going on a date with someone and it looks like it's going somewhere, I'm like, can I tell you a funny story about? ships and canoes and to try and you know have that as sort of a way of um uh communicating a lot of information in, in, in a short term because of it you know months go down the line i'm like i think we need to go for a canoe ride you know, literally or metaphorically that kind of signals your partner uh, yeah i want to make sure we haven't lost track of how much fun we have because it's very easy once something becomes predictable in the sense of sexual access or you know friday date night or whatever our attention is so naturally drawn to all the stimulus of modern life that you, sometimes you have to kind of wave a little bit about your friend. Hi, can you write? Oh, yeah, sorry, I got really busy with whatever. So that's one thing. The second thing that brings me into, I don't know, speaking about relationship, I guess, as a clinician or as a, I don't know, somebody who has a reason to have an opinion. Uh, I've been practicing medicine for 20 years. 80% of my patients are women. Um, they're much more likely to talk about what's going on in their lives in terms of, you know, deeper feelings and maybe why it is the, the stresses are in their life, you know, are the way that they are. Um, so that's a lot of conversations with a lot of people and most of them are unhappy in some way, you know, so asking them about, you know, what's missing in the relationship or what needs to change or is it time to leave or, um, you know, here's a funny idea on how to solve that problem and, and or actually doing counseling with couples. You know, which I haven't done a ton of, but um, sometimes patients, sometimes men, but more often women are going to say, you know, it'd be really nice to just bring my partner in and sit down and talk about what we've been talking about um, to either put the cards on the table or to get more support for a person who needs more support because they're medically being treated for something that's complicated. So, uh, you know, I probably would say I've got at least a college degree in hours of sitting down with people trying to figure that stuff out and uh, co-creatively solve those kind of problems. Uh, More formally, though, uh, I got into Chinese medicine studying to be a Taoist priest. And uh, traditional Taoism comes with these different branches of knowledge and practice. And one part of that whole tradition is what's called sacred intimacy. 
you know, and there's all these teachings on uh, how to actually uh, self-regulate, self-assess, and, um, you know, take care of your own well-being, and then how to take that model towards actually how to keep your relationship alive, healthy in different ways, as well as, you know, uh, you know, it's sort of a thing in Asian cultures or ancient cultures that when it comes to actual sexual intimacy, there's actually a lot of meditative or qigong or yogic-like practices um, that actually bring a completely uh, different kinds of opportunities uh, into the sexual play atmosphere uh, or opportunity than is kind of, you know, let's say for sale in, you know, Western TV shows or pornography or whatever. The the idea of uh, intimacy and um, how I've understood that word, uh, you're saying is um, different in the way that you know it through Taoism? Well, I wouldn't say just Taoism. I'd say uh, any really ancient culture that has a long history, they seem to have a really different sense of intimacy. You know, uh, I wish I had a computer screen in front of me because then I can read the definition of intimacy on Wikipedia. But it basically implies someone you've known for a long time, uh, someone you can trust with, you know, your your life, your secrets, and and things like that. Someone who you you know are going to be patient with if they're going through hard times, and um, you know, and the idea is that you're kind of in a safe place with someone who you can trust, and you know, who will be predictably supportive, you know, in in some way, you know, as you both grow old together, you know, and when you look at um, you know, that you know, that sounds like a good thing. You know, be nice to have that opportunity where all, all the, the the safety and the trust and the the um, the sense that that person's going to be there even if things aren't perfect for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that that idea of you know long term relationship and intimacy, and you know gradually as we age, you know our mindset and our beliefs and maybe other things change a little bit, and the hope is that the intimacy is going to maintain the connection enough that you know people will will change and the intimacy can accept that change when you look at uh you know tantra uh, taoism a lot of indigenous traditions when it comes to intimacy they they look at it almost completely the opposite in, in a way how's that so the first step is um if you're actually with someone that you're true, truly committed to being intimate with, you need to allow yourself, at least sometimes, to be unapologetically yourself. Unapologetically myself. Yeah. Okay. Do you see the question mark? <laughs> it just popped up over my head. Yeah. Um, unapologetically just means, you know, coming into a room and actually saying what you think. And obviously, I'm not saying, you know, give yourself carte blanche to just be a jerk, you know, because if you're a jerk, you're probably not going to last very long in any kind of relationship or canoe. (laughs) But in the sense of intimacy, it's to say, you know, I'm really feeling this really intense thing right now. And I am unapologetically going to share that with you. And maybe in the stumbling and fumbling of trying to communicate this new discomfort or distress, um... There's something going to come that's going to come into the space that exists between the two people that's new, hmm. right? and that's not safe. And being the person who's sharing, so mm-hmm. I walk in the room and I start telling you about something that's come up for me mm-hmm. around, um, I don't know, whatever it is that's going on for me around work or however that's manifesting in my relationship and that sort of thing. Um, when you say it's not about safety. Um, who's the one that's not being safe? 
uh, I think it's like kind of taking turns a little bit. Hmm. You know, like, okay, something seems to be going, you know, a bit left field for you, my dear. Can we sit down and maybe light a candle and I'll give you permission to vent until you're done and I'll try not to be a, take anything too personal if it comes at me that way and we'll take whatever comes up from an unapologetically uncontrolled, unrehearsed thing and kind of lay it out and pick it apart and try to see what needs to be put back together again. I mean, and that takes a certain kind of almost spiritual courage. Hmm. And again, that's why they call it sacred intimacy, because, you know, uh, otherwise, you know, and you said the word stale about 15 minutes ago, that's, that's my term for what's going wrong. Cause if you have a stale mate, hmm. Hmm. I've had <laughs> for the, the sake of a, a listener, Michael and I are staring at each other going stale mate. Yeah. I can name her <laughs> or, you know, I mean, maybe it was me. I mean, it's just the, yeah. the fact that when the, the mate part of the situation feels stale, you're either going to basically drag along with your cardboard lover through the rest of the time you're going to, you know, drag each other around, or you're going to kick them out the door, or you're going to jump out the door, hmm. you know, or you're going to just become more and more small within yourself to just, you know, live in the shadow of your stale mate because no one's doing anything with the staleness. So with this, <clears throat> So with this idea of intimacy being something where you're unapologetically yourself mm -hmm. with your mate. Um, well, I just wanted to give you another example of that, if that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously if it's, we're talking about relationship and intimacy, we're going to be, you know, sort of peripheral to the experience or the topic of sex. Um, and you see this all the time now on social media. It's becoming, I think, one of the more challenging things for men in midlife is all of the articles and YouTube videos and other things about women saying, I want you to, f um, sorry, Mark, this is a clean podcast. I want you to make love with me. Oh, that sounds appropriate. <laughs> you know, as, as if, you know, you're, you're uh, possessing me in some way or you're, you're taking the initiative and really, you know, being unapologetically yourself in a physically intimate way, as well as them asking permission or, you know, demanding, in fact, permission to do the same thing. Mm. Because uh, just like relationships, you know, can turn into castles and stuff like that, a sex life can turn into something that's too predictable to be exciting. So when you're allowing yourself to be unapologetically yourself, you know, in the sense of grab them by the hair, push them up against the wall, slap them on the bum, and off you go, I mean... That sometimes, in the, in the sense of imagery, is like, oh, well, I didn't even know that about myself, in the sense that I would feel that much aroused by being a little bit more rough. Now, rough is one way of being monopologetic, so I want to balance it out by maybe, you know, rose petals and chocolates and really nice music and, you know, essential oils. To be unapologetically uh, romantic in, in your gesture of, of you know, in, inviting someone else into intimacy is in its uh, own way uh, a big arousal for people. You know, because that's that dopamine anticipation thing. Well, this person's been three hours setting up this scene. You know, I mean, there's so many uh, opportunities for a more playful, unapologetic, slightly rough or slightly uh, exaggerated uh, sex life that allows us to be intimate because now we know something new about ourselves that we did not know uh, in the past in the space of our intimate lover. And so you're saying that um, in a relation canoe, um, one has more 
uh, capacity to be nimble in their thinking, in their in their sort of connection with their partner. Yeah, and you're allowed to bring anything into the canoe that you didn't uh, know, or if maybe you don't know if you would like to do something or wouldn't like to do it. But in a canoe, you're allowed to try everything at least once. And that's the commitment to the relation canoe, which mm. is okay. If you want to try that, I'll, I'll you know <laughs> put list of interesting imagery here. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll play along and see. And it may turn out you like that thing more than the person who initiated that thing. And they're like, no, that isn't really what I wanted. But you're like, but um, <laughs> I really liked it. So can we do that more often? And they're like, well, okay, but I mean, it's not really my thing. But, you know. So that, that just brings up the, the idea of um, of trust and how that actually. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so if, if, if I'm in the canoe and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, we're floating along and I want to bring in you know, two or three other guys <laughs> or whatever it is to bring them into the canoe with me, you know, whatever it is that floats my boat, floats mm-hmm. my canoe. If I want to entertain that, I'm sort of taking down this, this, this sexual, uh, um, image here. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I want to try to clearly make the point. Let's make the point. Um, that brings up a whole level of trust that, um, the other person who's in the canoe that was in, in with you in the first place all of a sudden has to go, Oh, what the heck? Um, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes or no. Like, well, as long as they're allowed to say yes or no, I think you're still on a fairly intimate trusting thing. Okay. <laughs> Whereas you just open the door to the bedroom with two football players. I don't know if that's going to go over very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't say <laughs> that I've ever tried it, so I'm not going to go that far with it. Um, so, sorry ladies, there was, was a bit of a tangent. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but so, Talk to a little bit about the idea of trust. I mean, I guess that's what I'm really trying to get at here. Is like if if I if I'm in a canoe with somebody, I I have to have some kind of level of trust with them that goes far probably, probably far beyond um, what I would have if I was in a relationship. In a relationship, I'd be asleep at the wheel. In a canoe, I'd be like, oh wow, I really got to pay attention to what they're doing because you know they're only like three feet in front of me. I'm so damn close to them. Yeah, and uh, hope they figure out the rocks. Yeah. So I do a little bit of a riff on trust. I uh, call it the Valentine's Curse. And uh, I'll play it out as best I can on the radio. I've never done this on a radio before. So um, go back to grade three. You know, I mean, this is the first time I saw this because I was, I don't know, a very small school. Um, we're all going to have to learn a new word. It's called inculcation. It's the way your culture turns you into a member of your culture through predictable uh, inculcation episodes like this. So it's Valentine's Day. <clears throat> And we're all sitting there with little envelopes with hearts all over them at the front of our desks. And we're all making little, you know, uh, you know, colored paper hearts with little things that we fold up and put in other people's envelopes. Right. I don't know. I had this happen from, I think, you know, for the first, I don't know. It happened at least once when I was in grade three and then we moved to the city and it happened like every year after that until like, I think we're like 12 or something. Sure. So I'm going to have to ask you to participate with this, this one, Anthony, if that's okay. Sure. So, you know, here we are in our classroom and we're putting the, our hearts in people's envelopes. We really, really, really want to have them pull out that heart and be so excited that we put it there. And we are, of course, sitting there with our little envelope, hoping that Sally or Billy or whoever you're hoping gives you the envelope. Or Billy and Sally. <laughs> okay. oh, God. There's a theme here, Anthony. We should talk. <laughs> we are talking. Anyway. Um... So you're really hoping that that particular person puts their little paper heart in your particular thing because there's the implication of affection. You know, and mm-hmm. at eight years old, you have really no idea what that is. But as you go through the next three or four years, which is why we have this inculcation in our culture, 
um, you know, your, your sense is now, you know, the opportunity for perhaps kissing or dating or other things with that person becomes more tangible because you're on 12 years old. You're actually like, you know, I think I'm starting to notice things I'd never noticed before. Right. So here's the play part. <clears throat> I'm going to offer you my little paper heart, Anthony, across the space of our microphones. Thanks, Michael. And because we're now in a committed relationship, I expect you to give me yours. Um, uh, sure. <laughs> Here, you can have that. Thanks. So now we're happy, we're in love, we're committed, we've done the, you know, trust thing and we're, you know, call it if it's we're going out or we're hooking up. I don't know, nowadays I have no idea what people call anything anymore. But we've, we've made whatever verbal, you know, com comments that we're committed to each other. And uh, perhaps now we live together and we're learning way much more about each other that way. And, um, so we're living together and, you know, we've got jobs, we've got things, maybe we've got doing kids or whatever. And things start to get a little bit wobbly in the sense of, you know, you're having to buy bigger and bigger clothes now. And, you know, a lot of things are changing. And I'm going to metaphorically tape, take your little paper heart and I might hold out a light, lighter underneath of it and a metaphor of, I'm going to start doing things to undermine your confidence about yourself and maybe hurt you a little bit. Just so singeing around the edges, just to try and control your behavior through negative feedback. Kids do it, parents do it, everybody does it. But when it comes between lovers, the idea of trust is, um, you know, how much are you going to hurt me? Oh, you're not hurting me very much right now. I'm so happy. Hmm. Right? So what I would recommend people do is take a moment and recognize that when you say you trust someone in that sense... You're still holding on to the heart that they give you when they were 18, and now they're 35, and there's somebody else. Hmm. And you're, if you're trained in Western culture to deserve or feel entitled to the 18-year-old version and fun and happiness and, you know, lack of stretch marks or whatever, you're going to take a sense of personal uh, negative uh you know, hit or whatever because you trusted this person to be this person, damn it. And now they're turning into someone else. They look different. They act different. They have different values, which is obviously inevitably going to happen. How dare you grow? How dare you grow? Right. And this is where we start playing the weird little, you know, push me, pull you manipulation, hurtful games, because I still have the integrity of your heart in my hand. Hmm. Because that's the Valentine's curse around that sort of slightly codependent trust thing. Right. Because you said you were going to. And the same thing, the other person's holding on to your little particular heart passport saying, you've changed so much. What the hell? You know, I trust you. I trusted you not to turn into this person. Hmm. Right. And there's this whole weird, you know, and that's the relationship thing is like, we, we committed to this, this thing. I mean, there was the love boat and the music and the thing, and now it's, you know, all this other stuff. So to finish the little, you know, uh, sort of experiential thing, the healthiest thing I think you can do in relationships and canoes is to give the person back their heart. So I'm now gesturing across the microphones to give Anthony back his particular autonomy. And I really like mine back. Please, please, please. <laughs> there you go. Okay. It belongs in my chest with everything else, because if I actually love someone and in a sense, trust them, I have to trust them to become who they're here to become and love them along the way. Hmm. And statistically, that means it's probably not going to last forever. Hmm. So I'm either committed to the canoe of present, connected, uh, uh, passionate, curious, where are you at? Where do you want to paddle this, this canoe? Oh, I don't, I can't go that way with you. Or, okay, I'm willing to go that with, with you and see, because the intimacy and the trust are around the present sense of companionship and connection. Hmm. 
right? And I mean, this is a thing for, you know, obviously if we're both seeing who we're seeing now and we've been seeing other people in the past and, you know, whoever, however our particular floor date card has been, you know, our particular, you know, career has been in the world romantically, obviously all the ones that are no longer present in our life didn't work out. And I mean, this is an exercise I ask people to do is to go back through the top 10 um, you know, relationships that didn't go well and ask yourself, did you actually trust and love the person as they became the person who left or who you left? And mm. nine times out of 10, most people say no. And then I say, that's on you. Hmm. So the idea of being in a relation canoe versus relationship, um, it sounds like I need, to, I need to be, uh, my own captain of my own little canoe kind of thing. Like I, I need to be, you know, self-contained and aware to the point of whatever it is that I need um, for myself in a relationship uh, and still be able to uh, embrace changes and differences in that person that I'm with. And it really comes down to the simple term autonomy. Yeah. And autonomy is not individuation or being individualistic. It's just being able to trust yourself. Hmm. Trust myself in that um, I know what's best for me? Or... Um, well, I mean, when you say that, and maybe I'm being opportunistic with language, but when we think about sort of how to be in our lives in a certain way, we're doing it from the outside in. You know, if I, if I, if I can make this look right, or if I can make um, certain things okay, you know, in, their sense, in terms of what I do or don't do, then, you know, I'm kind of looking at how to behave from the outside in. Whereas if I'm coming in from my autonomy from the inside out and I'm going, well, this is in fact who I implicitly am when I sit in a place of presence and, and just self-awareness. Um, and, and then there's a very different sense of it. There's no entitlement. There's no conflict. It's just like, this is me unapologetically with myself, myself. And then hopefully with people in my life, I can be in my autonomy unapologetically myself in the space of another person in a conversation you know, on a project we're working together on or whatever. And it's the canoe because each person has their own paddle. Right. And as long as we're going to keep, you know, moving in similar directions and, you know, occasionally splash each other and, you know, do, do silly things, then that becomes our predictable experience of most of our connections, or at least what we feel could be predictable in most of our connections, you know, kids, parents, people, you know, at work or your church or your, you know, Kung Fu school or whatever, because most of Western culture, uh, what I like to call the Western shopping mall of high school students, because we are a very adolescent culture, in my humble opinion, um, which we're going to do a podcast on, <laughs> um, we, we kind of come at life in this really strange, uh, I don't know, sense of entitlement and impatience. Impatience? You know. We, we want what we want and we want it now. Mm. You know, we want okay. what we see on TV and we want it now. We want to, you know, we all want to look like we're 18 until we die. You know, mm. we have this weird sense of, um, you know, impatience and urgency and entitlement and, you know, fad thinking and, you know, all, all this other stuff. And that takes away from your natural autonomy because our culture basically makes its, uh, our whole marketing is based on insecurity. Yeah. It's like you, uh, you're too much this, not enough that. Yeah. So now you go into relationship 
trying to control your insecurities by modifying your behaviors to look more like, act more like, or be more like whoever it is you think your partner wants you to be. I mean, you're four layers away from crazy, but more importantly, you're four layers away from the center of yourself, which is your autonomy, which is your paddle, which is inevitably, if you're going to move in your life deeply from a place of self-awareness, self-trust, and self-intimacy, if that's what we're not allowed to say, it's all about how your paddle touches the world. And whether or not you feel like you're actually moving uh, in a direction you choose in a way that you love. Because mm -hmm. you know, if you're not waking up every day going, I have the best life I have made for myself, then you're living somebody else's life. Mm -hmm. And that's going around. It's not like saying, oh, <laughs> there's one listener. It's like, oh my God, it's me. <laughs> it's all of us. Well, there's a few, a few, few more people out there scratching their head going, hmm, I recognize that, that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, this this whole idea and how it formulated in your mind about um, autonomy and and that sort of thing. You mentioned it at the beginning of the, the recording here today about Taoism. Mm -hmm. um, so how does that relate? How does that? Um, um, what's the connection between what you first got introduced to around this to where you actually have come to it today? Can you sort of summarize your sort of? <clears throat> Or is that even a good question to ask? Well, I'll, I'll sneak into that because there's one more thing I want to say about the autonomy thing. So I think we've all seen that uh, yin-yang symbol the looks like two fish swimming around each other kind of thing, black and white or different colors. Um, that's sort of a, a description image of the, the universe and how it kind of keeps transforming and charging and turning into more energy, more life, you know, and things like that. So imagine two people in their autonomy moving towards each other uh, but never... Uh, becoming uh, the other person in, in the sense of all the sort of passive aggressive codependence of you're actually like really using each other to build momentum and, and encourage each other and question each other from a place of autonomy towards the other person in their autonomy I mean I'll say this to them in listening you know sorry to say you're conditioned to try and undermine your woman's autonomy to control her behavior it's from high school on that's been your thing Mm. Right. You know, so, I mean, it takes a lot of, I'd say, spiritual courage and, and personal work for most men to unlearn and replace the unlearning with some new learning on how to move towards women without trying to make them chattel. Mm. The word husband has to do with animal care. Yeah. Right. So just saying, you know, we it's, it's, it's on, I think it's on men first to start kind of prying apart some of those things because women are no matter, well, I can't say no matter what, but. Um, they're very much more likely to embrace and, and move into the freedom space, the autonomy space, uh, given any opportunity um, than we are, because, you know, our operation is, you know, from our culture standpoint is, you know, make them insecure enough to make sure your insecurities are invisible. And then you're a real man with a woman. Yeah, and that yeah. sounds. Uh, I mean, I'm laughing at that, but it's it's, it's true. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you're not getting goosebumps about how real that actually is. It's you're you're, you're you know not really aware of that. <laughs> yeah. So back to the Taoism thing. <clears throat> so Taoism, in fact, is the uh, remaining teachings and practices from the indigenous people of Asia. Okay. Right. Um, having a First Nations background, there's sort of this sense in indigenous culture that you're not allowed to interfere with another person's autonomy. You're not allowed to tell your children what to do or how to do it. You're not allowed to teach people directly things the way we do in the West. 
It's like get an A or you're you're a stupid person. It's all going to be through lateral inference and stuff through an ethic we call non-interference or in Chinese Wu Wei. Say it again. Wu Wei. Wu Wei. It's often uh, translated as like non-effort or non-doing. You know, in the context of meditation and stuff like that. But it's actually a cultural theme that goes back, you know, ice ages. That if you can live in a culture or in a family or in a relation canoe with non-interference as your main ethic, you're always going to maintain a sense of awareness and appreciation and honoring for the other person's autonomy. Hmm. You know, quick example, uh, my son, he's 14. He just uh, took off to Germany at 14 to go to school because he wanted to. And I've raised him traditionally since, you know, he was a baby uh, in the ways that I could around non-interference, around uh, honoring his autonomy, around things like that. And he's, you know, anyone I, I know in the community that knows him is like, wow, he's like this really, really calm, confident, not confident in the sense of, you know, over the wall, you know, I'm so cool, you know, and helpful and, and present person. It's like, you know, he's a really special kid. I'm like, no, he just was raised without punishment or judgment or being told what to do. Right. Mm. So, so just as an example, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever met my son, but he's he's not your usual, you know, flighty, distracted, insecure kid. He's right. he's very sure who he is and what he's doing. And he's pretty grounded. Yeah. Like that was my impression of him when I spoke to him. Right. Um, you know, both of those feet are firmly planted on the ground. He he struck me as being, um, far different than I remember being fourteen. Yeah. So I'm just putting that out there. I mean, I'm proud of myself and I'm proud of him in the sense that we managed to pull off that many years without punishment and fighting and tantrums or anything because we just took the time to honor each other's autonomy. Right? And that's still a conversation we have when, you know, he's now he's in Germany. It's like, you use your autonomy to decide when and how often you want to communicate with me, say through Skype or email or other things. And I'm going to honor that because, you know, you're a young man now and you're out on this adventure. In no way am I going to demand my entitlement kid time. Although I might probably would if I wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> or you can have those ideas. Just don't talk about them. <laughs> just, like, just don't put them on a podcast. Yeah. So there's another thing I'd like to share in the context of this. In this, it's a practical things. Because I hope everyone's inspired to at least bring up the conversation of relation canoeing in their relationship. Because you're allowed to turn the ship into a canoe. It's not like, oh, damn it, I have to get divorced and start off with some stranger. Hmm. You can just say, honey, it's time to go for a canoe ride. We're going to change things up because it's it, it, the stale thing is starting to get pretty thick. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, I mean, for, for all, the, all that we've been talking about, the, the bigger uh, picture of what this is, um, mm -hmm. my last question today was going to be like, okay, in practical terms, what does this mean to uh, the listener? How can they sort of take away whatever it is that you're, you're on about with the relation canoe? Okay. So step one is to have that conversation. You know, I think we need to change the relationship paradigm to the relation canoe paradigm and find ways uh, to make the, the connection more important than the process. And I'll give you a kind of two traditional teachings on that uh, for the people listening, because those things I think are kind of potent. One teaching, uh, it's a First Nations teaching, that if you're in a relation canoe, relationship, you know, marriage, whatever, <clears throat> It's like you're sitting, uh, two people sitting at a fire. And the fire is the image of the passion, the connection, and the love that exists between those two beings. Now, the crazy thing about fires is if you're all sitting there for a long time, staring at each other with big happy goo eyes or whatever, um, it's going to go out. Hmm. So in, in that sense of, of the teaching is you, know, you have to stoke the fire and then take turns moving away from the fire to find more fuel, more wood more interesting things to do together, more um, 
surprises, more, uh, you know, committed times to really uh, help that person achieve something that they need to, to, to get into for the further, for themselves, for whatever reason. And as that happens, now you're truly companions, right? And if you're sitting at the fire and you keep going off to, you know, get the, the new, uh, tickets to the ski hill or the new, um, I don't know, map for mountain biking trails or the new, uh, uh, I don't know, place to go in Costa Rica, pick up surfing or something like that. And the other person isn't bringing in anything to the fire in the sense of, I'd really love to do this with you. Or, I'd really like you to help me with this. Or I'd really like to help you with this. The fire's going to go out. Mm. Right. And there's, this is the fun about the relation canoe thing is, you know, let's say, well, keep the metaphor causal. We pull over the canoe and start a fire. And as long as both people are bringing wood to the fire and you're both paddling, you know, well together, you're going to have the most amazing companionship, you know, experience uh, for as long as it's meant to be. Hmm. And there's no sort of uh, stereotypical Western North American kind of construct around that, that we're, we're living. It's not going to be Ward and Jude Cleaver sitting around that fire. Uh, no. No. <laughs> it's going to be bored with a little you know, glass with ice and bourbon and her in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And, and kids running around everywhere. For the, for the sake of our listeners, if you're not older or old enough to remember who Ward and June, June Cleaver are, just Google, leave it to Beaver. There you go. And I, I don't know. I'm sitting with a sense of karma of the number of people who might go, you just made me spend 20 minutes watching that. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway. So one more thing that I think, uh, uh, could be shared in, in this conversation. Uh, there's a teaching in uh, Taoism in the tradition I was raised up in uh, called Santao. And Santao means like the threefold path or three opportunities to, to grow. So there's Ditao, which is the Tao of soil. Uh, there's Rentao, which is the Tao of beings and relating to people. And there's Tiantao, which is the Tao of sky. Uh, you know, mind, spiritual practice, things like that. So in the sense of a relationship or relation canoe, Ditao is all about the stuff you do with your body. Okay. Right? And so in terms of sexuality, uh, exercise together, separately, or whatever. Together might be fun. Um, and then uh, food, sleep, you know, things like that. So that's kind of how we, we sustain and enjoy the physical experience. Rundao speaks to the, the more relating part. So how you fit into society, how you place yourself in the world, how well you communicate with people, and whether or not you're actually growing in that way. Because a lot of us, you know, oh, I'm 18, I'm a grown-up, I don't need to learn nothing anymore, I'm, I'm good. And you're like, oh, I'm coming up on 40-something, not going to say how old I'm, but... Um, and I'm learning faster every year, so I'm, you know, the idea that I'm ever going to be grown up is kind of makes me like giggle, you know, <laughs> in, the, in the sense of, okay, the prog project of Michael Smith is done, we can now put on the little, you know, you know, completed by date, good for another 45 years, you know, <laughs> you know whatever. So um, when it comes to relating, I mean, there's nothing more beneficial to a relationship, relation canoe, than trying different ways of sharing thoughts and feelings. You know, you know, you could write things, you could, um, you know, go to a class on nonviolent uh, communication. You could do all kinds of things that give you more tools to spend more time in deeper communion and communication with your lover. Because hmm. it's about deeper, not, not deep enough. You know, it's, I mean, I have intimacy issues, go away. It's like, okay, um, I guess it's time to get out of the boat or the canoe. And then there's Tiandao, and that has mostly to do with the kind of more spiritual practices around the experience, 
not the opinion, but the experience. Because you can argue with people's opinions, but you can't really argue with their experience. No. So Tiandao is the experience that in uh, any kind of intimacy, be it physical, be it moving through our particular traumas and pasts and stuff, um, the intimacy is that the universe is actually in a state of reunion through the masculine and feminine, through the interactions we have physically, emotionally, verbally. Right? And we all have part masculine and part feminine, right? which I think is going to have to be another podcast. But um, if you're not paying attention to the well-being and the expressiveness of your inner masculine and inner feminine self and honoring that in your lover, then things can get kind of uh, back to the stalemate thing. Mm. Right? And I mean, uh, if we were to do another podcast on intimacy and relation canoeing at some point, uh, from a Taoist point of view, there's a whole series of passes that relationships go through through time that are the actual natural maturing of the relationship as an entity and both people involved. Hmm. And so, sorry, those, uh, those passes, passages, yeah. uh, from the Taoist perspective, mm -hmm. yeah, we should do a podcast on that. Yeah. And I mean, it's basically mostly through the, the awareness of the power of vulnerability. So I keep coming back to the idea. It's been ringing in my head over the course of this whole podcast. Um, you know, if you love something, set it free. That T-shirt. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that's too trite an expression to sort of sum up whatever it is you've been talking about. But it, 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 it it's occurring to me, and I'm measuring what you're saying against my own relationships uh, that I've had, both my current one and ones in the past. Um, with how I've been more successful in that relationship. And when I think of being successful in a relationship, I think about, um, was I, did I come out of that relationship, uh, spitten? <laughs> was I angry? Was it a huge F you to whoever it was? Or was it, um, Hey, see you later. Text me and we'll go for lunch next week. Um, and it's been both. Mm -hmm. Um, and success, I think for me has always been, uh, based on how, how connected I am to myself. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said that because if you can be in the space of your own autonomy unapologetically, presently, to yourself, which, I mean, that's a big ask. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then realize how empowered you are and how at ease you are and how confident you are because you're actually comfortable. Because confident people sometimes are actually just hiding insecurities, whereas people who are confident but also really comfortable with themselves, mm -hmm. that's a win. If you can have all of those little boxes checked in, in your internal experience and bring that to the person that you're uh, maybe meeting for the first time or wanting to ask to marry, they will always see you for you and you'll always be looking into them for them. Hmm. Right. I mean, this. I mean, we want one last little tidbit about relationship advice, especially if you're single. <clears throat> the next time you go on a date or a hookup or a whatever we call it now, <laughs> um, decide to dress like, act like, tell the jokes like, talk about the TV shows you actually like, the music you actually listen to when no one's around, and, and bring no pretense at all to. I don't know, dating is sort of a slow motion sales pitch or something, you know, and just say, I'm, I'm just going to sit here unapologetically as myself, completely uh, not distracted by any of the subterfuge of trying to promote myself or hide something about myself and stay completely present to the other person. 
they're going to see you for you and they're going to see you looking into them as if you might already love them in some way because deep attention is what love really is mm. you know and then if they're attracted to you they're actually attracted to you and if they decide they like you they really like you and in five months from now it isn't going to be the typical so by the way you know i actually don't like country music and i hate high heels and <laughs> this whole thing with the leather and you know buckles it's, i mean it scares the crap out of me <laughs> whatever you know because then it's really i mean from <laughs> as your doctor i just want you to know that if you're actually like in your spine in your bones in your heart totally clear about what you're doing and why you're not going to get sick <laughs> mm. wow so all of a sudden the uh, the health uh, lifestyle and mindset podcast <laughs> comes to uh it's, it's gotta, gotta get all three <laughs> gotta get all three wow great um you know the the idea of being myself uh, authentically myself uh in a, in a relationship um I've had the experience where I've done that deliberately, but I've also had the experience of like, meh, pff, this is never going to go anywhere. I'll just show up, you know, wearing track pants and a hoodie kind of thing and having it be the best date ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, lots to, uh, lots to chew on here. Yeah. I mean, I would encourage anyone, uh, listening to this to just sit down for a period of time. Hopefully after you have the time after listening to this and be unapologetically aware that you might be, uh, um, used to or used to certain habits and behaviors in ways that a part of you suddenly might feel inspired to just shake off and there may be things coming up in you that you've kind of bunked over the head like no no not enough time for this it's you know whatever that may guide you on whatever adventures and misadventures take you to a place of true love and happiness with or without someone else mm -hmm. you know, but but until you're in your autonomy just you know asking for it you know show me who i really need to be in this life you know in some way within yourself you're still technically hiding from yourself i think that's a great place to uh, to wrap things up for the day uh this has been episode 11 of fusion health radio the health lifestyle and mindset podcast uh today's topic should your relationship become a relation canoe uh i'm anthony santa dr michael smith and uh we are happy to be here podcasting 11 episodes in um we are world famous we're on the internet all over the place <laughs> on itunes stitcher podbean and uh, we would love it if you told us what you thought of the podcast you can do that through facebook uh you can do uh i guess comments from um itunes mm -hmm. and uh you can just give us some love and attention in that way and i think the reason why you want to do that is because number one we want to hear that sort of thing we want to know how we're doing but uh we don't really get any sort of notoriety from itunes itunes doesn't show us to everybody even though we're on itunes until we actually get what is that thing five or six comments five, five or six reviews you actually have to go on there and click whatever number of stars you think that you know you feel that we're doing for you because that's why we're doing this is for everybody out there hmm. and if you feel like writing a comment it can be simple as great show or you know why are those trucks driving by in the background it's there's construction across the street we didn't plan that <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah or whatever but i mean the, the that sort of uh reciprocity of you know we're sharing with you if you share with us ask questions especially because we'd love to know you know how to tweak the show or address your actual concerns mm -hmm. yeah um, we're just a couple of uh podcast hacks here so yeah. but it becomes like a, i think a more organic uh way of figuring out where the podcast inevitably is going to go because as you ask us questions and we answer them um that's going to be what most people are going to kind of expect and, and and uh we can get more focused in on certain things for people who, who need that kind of help because that, that's my favorite thing even if i don't know how to fix something as a doctor 
I'll go and research the heck out of it until I do. Hmm. You know, so I mean, that's my fun thing is like, well, if I've got something really weird going on, let me know. I'll do my best to figure it out. <laughs> that'd be, you know, that'd be a win for everybody. There you go, uh, Doctor Michael Smith, um, <laughs> Mister Fix It. <laughs> I'm a researchaholic. I admit it. There's no AA for researchaholics as yet. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm like a reader. I think <laughs> podcast might be a form of therapy. How's that? There you, there you go. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, thanks for tuning in today, folks, and we will see you in the next podcast. Have a great day. Cook well, eat well, and be well. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.